I'm sitting in my closet. It's about 5.30, and I told my husband that he was in charge of putting the kids to bed tonight, or I should say, I asked if he'd do that whole thing, um, because I just feel like working, and I feel like doing more for Expressing Motherhood right now. So, by the way, welcome to the Expressing Motherhood podcast. My name is Lindsay Cabot, and I'm the co-creator and director of the show. I am about to share with you Cassandra Lane Rich's piece from our Silver Lake April show here in Los Angeles. But before I get into Cassandra, who she is, and you can hear her piece, I just checked the mailbox. I dropped my daughter off at an art class, and I got the Atlantic in the mail and I flipped it open and it says the revolution will be televised and it's about this producer named Marty Noxon. I don't know how to pronounce that her last name but it says this summer the producer Marty debuts two shows about women's pain and rage and the timing couldn't be better and then on the second page it says everyone in Hollywood is looking for Marty right now. Man that's exciting. Marty is not a millennial. She's you know over 40 and it's awesome because I'm 41 and um, it's pretty exciting to be, I don't know, be a woman right now. You can feel the times are changing and, you know, being a woman in Hollywood, I just had a lunch meeting with some producers and we were just talking about that, you know, floating ideas around a few years ago, people would say to us, no, you know, that's not for that network. That network only wants male oriented uh, shows and like that's just totally changed it now and and it's an exciting time right now and you just feel like you just want to like be a part of it and also like get your story out there clearly getting a show onto tv or film is uh, nothing easy to do I don't mean to downplay that but it is exciting so here I am in my closet because it's also just interesting to bring about you know like why there aren't that many female directors and producers why there's more producers but you know directing is all-encompassing and if you have a small child you are going to be away from your child unless you're somebody like let's say Reese Witherspoon who's already established you are a big name you have a lot of money then you can make demands you know to probably have childcare on set or whatnot but if you're not in that position then you're gonna be away from your child a lot and I'll never forget last spring I was at a dance um, a little dance camp for my daughter and I sat down next to a woman who had won an Oscar I won't say what she won the Oscar for but she said to me having won the Oscar made her realize that it was not worth it to her to sacrifice her time with her kids anymore going off on jobs because here she had reached this pinnacle of success and she just didn't feel like she got back what maybe she thought she would by reaching that point because she had put so much time into it and I guess I don't know that was her takeaway from winning an Oscar and it wasn't that she was ungrateful I understood what she meant she wasn't an actress so it wasn't you know obviously if you win an, an Oscar and you're an actress you're gonna get amazing film roles she did something else but uh it was you know she she was at the top and um that was her takeaway so I don't know, I lost my train of thought, but I'm in my closet, guys. And it's just an exciting time for female stories, I think. So Expressing Motherhood is celebrating 10 years of stories about motherhood. And I really have been passionate about um, female stories for a long time and creative women. And I have to say there's a great man in my kitchen right now cooking and taking care of my kids, my husband. So, of course, and I have two boys myself. So I love men. 
This is one of my longer introductions, but it's just where my head is at. And now I'm going to introduce Cassandra to you. She's formerly a newspaper journalist and a high school teacher. Cassandra Lane is an alum of Voices of Our Nation Arts Foundation and a room of her own. She received an MFA and has published stories in the Bellingham Review, The Manifestation, Writers Resist, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, and many more. Her story is part of the New York Times' recent conception project. In fact, that I, that's how I heard of Cassandra. I reached out to her and asked her if she would want to submit this piece because I was so taken with it. And to be honest, I'm always seeking diversity for expressing motherhood. So I was really interested in having her because her piece talks about being an African-American and um, you know, living through the struggles of racism, which you're about to hear. And so the Conception Project by the New York Times is an animated visual audio series exploring motherhood and choice. She's a Louisiana native, and she lives with her son and husband in Los Angeles and is the managing editor, uh, editor of LA Parent Magazine. Without further ado, here's Cassandra Lane Rich in Expressing Motherhood. I imagine my great-grandmother Mary has just finished her morning chores when she learns that the love of her life, Bert Bridges, has been lynched. Picture her. It's 1904, Holmesville, Mississippi. After grooming her horses, Mary rushes inside the house, her belly heavy with child, as she eases down into a rocking chair. She begins twisting her hair, wrapping each two-strand twist around and around itself and tucking it at the root, creating a perfect knot. The finished product is like a fetus, its feet curled warmly against its head. Mary rubs her belly and smiles. I feel you in there, she says. Your daddy and me, we can't wait to meet you. She hushes and cocks her head, waiting for a kick. She hears a rap at the front door instead. She crosses the room. The heavy door groans under her pull. Mary, it is Bert's friend, Handy, standing on the bottom step. Afternoon, Handy, Mary says, chipper, but then she catches the fear in Handy's eyes. What ails you, she shoots out. Handy takes off his cap. I was at the store this morning, he says, when some white men, they came for Bert. I didn't know what they wanted with them. Mary cuts him off. Where'd they take him? Where is he? Now, Mary, listen, I myself have not seen him. But my children, they wandered off a little while ago like children do, you know. And they, they say there's a body hanging at Piedmont Graveyard. A ring of yellow light fills Mary's vision, wavering and expanding. I got to see, she says. Mary, you really shouldn't go out there. Handy reaches out to grab her, but the look in her eyes stops him cold. She runs down the steps, breezing past hens, scratching dirt between them as, they, as though they are playing a game. At the foot of a small hill, she turns right, her body picking up speed. Her heart seems to shrivel to a rock, beating jagged edges beneath her breast. At the graveyard, Mary stops. She stares at a large oak tree where Bert's body dangles like an ornament the knot of the noose pressing against the back of his neck. Mary walks to him and looks up. His body hangs low, so low that she can touch his feet, his ankles, his calves. She imagines the rope burning at his neck, 
imagines the tree limbs shuddering as Bert's body is yanked against it, his neck snapping back then forward, his chin falling against his chest. It was his chin that had seemed so hard, so unyielding and prideful, but Mary knew. Here was the very point of his tenderness. Whenever she would take his chin between her lips, the hardness would diminish in a quiver. Mary circles her lover again and again, acorns cracking under her feet. A sharp ache knocks her in her stomach, and the baby begins flipping in her womb like an acrobat, like a madman. A bird perched high in the tree won't stop chirping, and the sun casts a shaft of light that seems to set Mary's hair on fire. Sweat beads on her scalp and neck, and she has to pee. Her bowels threaten to let loose, and she has to throw up all at once. She folds over, but the morning's breakfast comes only as high as the bottom of her throat. She can't, she won't let any of it go. She takes all of it, the piss, the puke, the poop, the grief, packs it all down into one tight, constipated ball and stands. Push, push. It's 2007 and I am inside a delivery room at Good Samaritan Hospital in downtown Los Angeles. My boyfriend, two nurses, and my doctor are at my feet, urging me to push. I believe I'm pushing, but I can't be sure. <laughs> my body feels as though it is in a state of suspension. I worry that I won't be able to push my baby out, but I'm especially afraid of the afterbirth, the placenta and fetal membranes that are supposed to expel from the uterus after birth. I am convinced that pieces of this fleshy thing will remain inside me, floating around, unable to find an opening. Will it be dead or alive? Remnants of the past, the future, or both? Stuck between my womb and the threshold of this world is a new generation for which I am responsible, a black boy. I need the women of my southern childhood to guide me through this delivery and its aftermath, but they are not here, and their absence bears down on me, threatening to rip me apart. Suddenly, I sense a shift. Something lifting me and nature and gravity is one. I call upon my foremothers, Mama, Grandmama, Great Grandma Mary, and push as though our lives depend on it. Amor.